I have a quick announcement to make that I didn't make at the beginning of the service because I wanted to um, save it for now to when uh, we are recording um, and so that people that aren't here can hear this announcement. If you are a parent of young children or you know of parents with young children, we want parents with young children to be at church. Please hear me say that. Me, John, the session, the deacons, we want families to be here. One of my professors in seminary said, the reason, one of the reasons we should love children in the service is it always reminds us that not everybody is dead during the sermon. I say that jokingly, but I also say that because we are a covenantal church that deeply believes in shaping our children in the gospel of Jesus. And to do that, they need to be in church. As my family takes up the back section, the back corner, trust me when I say, when your children are loud, you are the only person that cares. The people around you don't care. We take our baptismal vows seriously and that we want to help you raise your children up in the church, and we want them here, and we want you here. Now, if you are not comfortable bringing them right now, we completely understand, but we don't want the reason to not come with children because you think that they will be loud or distracting. That's what they are. They're children. And as Jesus said, let the little ones come. So with that, let us pray, and then we will pray the Lord's Prayer. Father, we know that you are here this morning, and we rejoice, for you have loved us in Christ. Lord, we cannot do what you ask us to do on our own, but we are thankful that you have loved us in Jesus, and you have given us power by your Spirit to live the life that you have called us to as a new humanity in Christ. Yet so often in our lives, we are reminded of our brokenness and the brokenness of this world. We offer up prayers to you for prayers of healing. We offer up our pastor, John, that you may heal him as he recovers from his surgery. We pray for Tony Hunt. We pray for Dr. Lynch and for Claire Reddit and for Ellen Morgan. We pray for Greg and Manette Kenny and for the Halford family. May you protect them. Lord, we, protect, we pray for Tim Keller and his cancer and for his wife, Kathy. Lord, we pray for a world that will be free from cancer. And we are hopeful for that day. Lord, we pray for our missionaries, Mark and Liz Scheibe and their family, as they minister in Northern Ireland. Encourage them with the strength and the power of the Spirit that he might enlighten their hearts and their minds and encourage them to preach the gospel in the context of which you have put them. 
Lord, we also pray for our own context, where we are living day by day. Give us strength to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. May Christ Presbyterian Church be a church founded on biblical principle. May we love our neighbor as ourselves. And may you receive the glory forever. And let us pray as you taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would, please turn your Bibles to Psalm 45 if you're not there already. Royal weddings. They are something that we are all intrigued about. They grab the the attention of the entire world whether it's because they're known for their big hats or who will be there, or just the celebration of a royal wedding. 1981, Prince Charles married Diana Spencer. In 2011, Prince William marries Catherine Middleton. In 2018, Prince Harry marries Meghan Markle. These are just some of the recent English royal weddings that have their own flair, their own pristine elegance. And if you don't like royal weddings, just think of uh, basically any Disney movie. Princess Elsa, Cinderella, Tiana, Ariel, Snow White, Jasmine, Rapunzel, and Belle. The entire movies build up to a royal wedding. Our young girls are fascinated by these weddings, and it reveals something about us. It reveals something about our desires and wishes because we love the story of princes and kings, of princesses and queens. Well, I have good news for you because this morning in Psalm 45, this is a psalm that describes a royal wedding. And the psalmist is fascinated. The psalmist is overjoyed at this wedding. And that's what we see clearly in verse 1. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like a pen of a ready scribe. John Calvin translates that this should be translated that the scribe's heart is boiling over with excitement because the king is getting married. The king, the son from the line of David, is getting married. And the congregation is excited. They're ecstatic. Because there's going to be a royal wedding. And on this day, the psalmist records in verse 2, the king is the most handsome man of all men. 
And his bride, the psalmist records in verse 13, she looks gorgeous. She's in her dress, woven with gold in royal colors. When were you this excited about a wedding? When were you this excited when you saw the bride walk into the room and the groom's face just lit up because he saw his bride? And I say this because we need to remember a few things about the Psalms. The the Psalter, the book of Psalms, is the official hymn book of God's people. Its intent was to be read or sang as a congregation together in corporate worship. And the second thing we need to remember about the Psalms is that it's it's very often poetic language. You can use poetry differently than technical language. This is not a monograph of theology. It's a poem. And just as the weatherman can describe a snowstorm by stating that snow is frozen H2O, fallen from the sky, and it's below 30 degrees, a poet describes it differently. A poet can describe snow falling as it reaches to the fence and it wraps it, rain, rail by rail, till it is lost in a fleece, a crystal veil. This language that the Psalter uses grasps our emotion. It makes us feel what we are singing because the emotion of the Psalms are supposed to shape our feelings. We are supposed to be excited with the psalmist when we read this because the king is getting married. The last thing we need to remember about the Psalms, especially when it's a psalm referring to the king or written by the king, is how are we supposed to interpret this psalm? You see, the king can really have two different roles in the psalm. In the Psalms, the king can be the um, embodiment of all of Israel. The king is the one that all of Israel is supposed to strive to be as the king lives in covenant faithfulness to God. So we can look at a psalm and ask the question, are we supposed to be doing what the king is doing? The other way we can read the Psalter in relation to the king is that Does the king reveal God to his people? You see, the Davidic line was given by God to his people, not only to represent the ideal Israelite, but also to represent God to his people. He is his co-heir on the throne. And so, to be a good reader of the Psalms, we must discern Are we supposed to relate to this king? Or does this king reflect God to us? As the shepherd leads his sheep. As a mighty leader protecting his people in battle. Yet ruling justly and with mercy. And so in Psalm 45 we must say to the latter that The king in this psalm is not something that everyday Israel can relate to, 
But the king is a representative of God here on earth. And that's why we see in verse 6, the psalmist says, Your throne, referring to the king, and yet he says, Your throne, O God, is forever. Because the throne that the king occupies has been given by God to be a representative of God on earth, ruling his people in righteousness and truth and in meekness. What a magnificent description of the king of the people as he reflects God's covenantal faithfulness to Israel. So why do I make this point? Why do I make such a big deal about who the king is in the Psalter? Because I think we need to really understand, we need to see that in this entire book or in this entire chapter, in chapter 45, that the king is ruling over Israel in glory and in splendor. And in Psalm 45, he is not representing Israel. He's representing God on earth. And the people are overjoyed. Because the king is getting married. And yet, we have to remember, the king is not the only one in this psalm. There's also his bride. Hear, O daughter, and consider, incline your ear, your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your Lord, bow down to him. All glorious is the princess in her chamber. With robes of interwoven gold and many colored robes, she is led to the king with her virgin companions following behind her. The people sing because it is a great honor for the king to be married. Because she is his bride. He has showered her with gifts, with royal robes, befitting his queen. And she looks gorgeous because her clothes and her glory reflect the extravagant love of the king. He loves her so much that her radiance reflects his love back to him. Even the maidens or the maids of honor are giddy in joy with gladness. What a beautiful picture of a royal wedding. And the people of God came to sing this on the day that the king was married. Because it was an honor to be married to the king. So when was the last time that you were this excited for somebody else? Pretty easy to be excited about ourselves sometimes. But when were you excited about the joy of somebody else? Now I hope you see where I'm going with this. Israel is overjoyed for their king. They are celebrating the bride of the king. But how do we read this as the church? Because we, we have no king to look at. Well, Hebrews 1 answers this question for us. Because in Hebrews 1, verses 8 and 9, actually quotes Psalm 
45, where it speaks of Jesus. It said, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companion. Our King is Jesus, who has come through the line of David and is a conquering king who defends his people, who defeats his enemies. And hear this. He is just not like God on earth. He was God on earth. This psalm prepares us for Jesus. Jesus is our king. The fulfillment of the anointed king anticipated from Judah back in Genesis 49. He is our king. And who is his bride? His bride is the church. His bride, the, the, the bride in Psalm, Psalm 45, like I said, reflects the glory of the king. And so too the church reflects the glory of our king, Jesus. In Christ, God has lavished upon us his splendor and glory and majesty because he loves us. King Jesus finds pleasure in you. Hear me say that. Jesus finds pleasure in you because his love is extravagant. He gave, him up, he gave himself up for you because he loves you. To cleanse you to present you without spot or wrinkle, holy and unblemished. You are Christ's bride for no other reason that he loves you and desires you. Not because anything that we have done, not because we are beautiful in and of ourselves, not because we have made a name for ourselves, but because he has clothed us with his royal garments. Because he loves us. He desires our beauty because we reflect him. He showers us with gifts because he is good. And he has called our marriages to reflect himself. He has called that our marriages reflect God's redemptive love for us in Christ. That is why in Ephesians 5, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her that we might, not, that we might leave all other allegiances. A wife is to leave her father and her mother's home and claim allegiance to her spouse. Because our, our allegiance to Christ is exclusive. We cannot overstate the truth that just as a man and woman are united in covenant marriage and by sexual unity becoming one flesh, we are so 
united to Christ because we are his bride. Husbands are supposed to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Paul is saying that when God created a marital union, he was doing so to give us a mystery, a signpost pointing us to Jesus. The male-female bond can only serve as an analogy to the Christ-Church union. Marriage can only be biblical if the parties of the covenantal union are different. The wonder of our union with Christ is that humanity and deity, separated by sin, have come together by the power of the Spirit. Two have become one. And think of how our culture believes in marriage, that it's something that our government regulates and oversees, and how our culture devalues the difference between male and female within covenant marriage. And within covenant marriage, the great redemptive story of Scripture is that amidst diversity, we see unity. Male and female have excellencies and glories perspectives and powers, strengths and weaknesses that the other gender cannot reproduce and does not have. Students, listen to me. Why must our sexual union be saved for marriage? And why must our marriage between be between a male and a female? You live this every day, and we must be able to give an answer. And the answer is because it gives us a picture of God's redemptive love for us in Jesus. Our sexuality, our sexual reunion, our sexual union reflects God's love for us in Christ. Even our sexuality points us to the gospel of Jesus. We do not believe, like our culture, that sexual intimacy is given for temporary consent for a single encounter. It is given for permanence, whole life, covenantal faithfulness, because that is how God loves us in Christ. We are his bride. We have no other bridegroom. We save ourselves for him. We are exclusive. We have no other forever. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him exclusively forever. We, the church, the bride of Christ, have been called to enjoy eternal union with our Redeemer. And we reflect that as the church, even in our sexual ethics. Our love is exclusive for one spouse, for eternity, just as our love is exclusive for Jesus and his love for us. Men, husbands, Christ does not model his love for the church based on how we love our wives. Thank goodness. We model how we love our wives by the way that Christ loved his church exclusively giving himself up for her. 
not pouring on heavy burdens. By cherishing her. And as we see in Psalm 45, by lavishing gifts upon her with great gold and royal robes. Wives, how do we honor, how do you honor your husbands? Our culture tells us you should hate Ephesians 5 because submission equals weakness. But the Christian women I know are not weak in their submission. They are strong in submission because submission takes strength. It takes dignity. As Christ submitted His will to the Father's. Yet, as all of us can attest, whether you're married or not, we all know that marriage is hard. If you haven't been married, you've seen someone struggle in marriage. Whether it's your parents or your friends or your siblings, we've all experienced divorce in one way or another. We've all seen and known people suffer from broken marriages, from abuse, from neglect. And whether that be in the context of a royal wedding or a wedding here in our own county, something in our human marriages reflects our human brokenness because we are stricken by sin. And our marriages reflect those in the covenant of marriage. We have all experienced or seen unfaithfulness. We have all seen and experienced exploitation. We have all seen or experienced loneliness and shame. We have all seen the sinfulness of our own hearts come to roost. And it's terrible. And it's heartbreaking because it does not reflect the marriage that we have with our King. Our, refin, our sin reflects our brokenness, not the glory of Christ. Even if you have been divorced, even if you have experienced unfaithfulness or the loneliness or the shame, you are loved by Christ and He desires you and takes pleasure in you because He loves you. Christ looks upon you with gladness because you are His bride. And that's why we sing a song like Psalm 45. That's why we get excited because we are the bride of Christ and He has done everything for us even amidst our sin, even amidst our own unfaithfulness, God is faithful because He is good and loving. We are so united to Christ by faith. We have been united to Him, and He is our bridegroom. We are His bride, and He showers His love upon us each and every day. And this is why we stand and we rejoice, because we are the bride of the King. Amen.
Now let us stand and sing a song that looks forward to the wedding feast. <laughs> 